We are back, baby. We are back. That's we right. are back. You are looking live. We get after it. You know, we jabber jaw. We go tit for tat. We have our little differences. Let's get funky like a monkey. And here we go. Hello and welcome to the Moose and Ruins podcast. This episode 262 of the pod alongside Matt Rooney. I am Joe Musso. Probably more to get to than we would want to. Uh, we're going to talk about the White Sox and their recent struggles. We're going to talk about mm. Matt's uh, life-changing trip, I think it would be safe to say. That's uh, safe to say, to the, yeah. Over to the home of golf. Uh, we're going to touch upon the current state of golf and focus more in on the FedEx Cup playoffs and the current uh, fractured state of the game. Uh, Got to talk about the Bears, specifically Roquan. Uh, there's a lot to get to here, Matt. And I know you're on a tight schedule. You run a tight ship, but I must ask, how the hell are you? Oh man, I'm I'm still on a little bit of a high from the vacation. If we're being honest, yeah. you're still thinking back on it. You're still looking back on it. It was a lot of golf, but man, it's the, the memories are still very fresh. So I, I'm on a high. The, the Roquan news brought me down a little bit, but the more I got away from it, you know, that I, I think it's all a negotiation tactic, and I think that'll all be settled. I'm back now. We're good. The White Sox keep trying to bring me down, but every time I get brought down, I <laughs> kind of keep thinking back to. To walking up 18 at St. Andrews, and I'm I'm a little bit I'm I'm better I'm better. You jump you jump back into that photo album, and uh, all is mm. right in the world. I'm sure uh, as you give it a scroll. But let's start with Roquan. Let's start with the Bears because we are exactly one month from the start of the NFL season or the first NFL Sunday. Excuse me, that Thursday night game will obviously come prior, but the first Sunday on the NFL schedule slated for September 11, which is one month from today, and. Uh, a lot still to be figured out, and that's going to be the sort of the chorus throughout the season for the Chicago Bears. Is yeah, uh, it's a lot to figure out, a, a lot to undo, a lot for Ryan Poles to figure out in his first foray as a general manager, and he's dealing with his first high-profile holdout of a player that uh, you could only consider foundational uh, for this team and for the future of this franchise. Roquan Smith is one of the more underappreciated talents at the linebacker position in this league. And he wants to be compensated as such. He wants to be compensated as one of the top five linebackers in the league because I truly think that's what he is. But in terms of his holdout and his trade request, your concern level on a scale of one to ten is what? Obviously, when you know Rappaport tweets it yesterday morning, the 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 alarm goes off and it's a ten, and you know you're you think everything's on fire. The more I kind of twenty four hours away, a little over twenty four hours away. You know, Roquan's negotiating his own deal. It's not an agent. I, I think what happened was he kind of pulled off a negotiation tactic a little bit early. I think his feelings might have got a little bit hurt in, in a negotiation that was probably just standard procedure that, you know, an agent doesn't necessarily, you know, uh, relay all the details of negotiation talks to their clients. Yeah. And I, I kind of think that's what happened here. I mean, if you read the notes app, which was two pages long, so if you didn't read the whole thing, can't really blame you, but basically said, you know, that he had hurt feelings, but he wanted to be a bear his whole career. Not sure. But like at the end said, maybe the McCaskies can fix it. I, I, I still see this deal getting done. I mean, Ryan Poles kind of made it seem like he wants to get it done too. took him off the pup list, which I think was kind of his return serve of Roquan pulling out his negotiation tactic early. But uh, I, I think there is a deal to be done, but I also don't believe Poles should as good as Roquan is just cave and make him, you know, the highest paid linebacker in football. No, right no, no, away. No, no, no. Because as good as Roquan is, and he is a foundational piece and he's, you know, a bears linebacker, which is a position of honor in the NFL. Like 
it's not an edge rusher. It's not a quarterback. It's not a star receiver. It's not a stud corner. Like as awesome as linebackers, as great linebackers are, I think there's, you can find those guys a little bit easier. So while I still think they should pay Roquan, the record breaking type deal that he probably wants is also not something I'm willing to be like, yeah, just go ahead and take it. Yeah, no, you got to You got to come to a common ground. I completely agree with you that, that he should not be the benchmark in terms of player pay at the linebacker position. But you also do have to take into effect that we have the sixth lowest uh, cap number this year and we'll have mm-hmm. and currently have the lowest number of dollars committed to players in the 2023 season. Yeah. You have a quarterback on a rookie contract. You have obviously a team that needs to be built, and Ryan Poles taking his time here at least tells us that he's cognizant of that, that that he knows that we're going to have to spend some money. We're going to have to allocate funds in a number of different places. This is not uh, us putting together the final pieces of a championship roster. This is building it from the ground up, and you obviously don't want to play your biggest card before you do anything else. But mm-hmm. with all of that being said, there is some – there is some uh, latitude in terms of like, you know, if we, if, if we got to make it right, if we got to give you that extra million here, if the signing bonus needs to be this, that, or the other, the money is there. This is not, we are not, um, we are not at the final stages of accounting for this football team. Mm-hmm. I totally, I, 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 I totally agree with you. And I, I think in the end it does get done because the bears still have these two years of Justin Fields rookie deal. And that's, you know, kind of the, the golden time to actually pay three players around your quarterback. Three, three years. We're not paying well, this guy so, in year four. Show us something, you know, like yeah, fair, fair the enough. whole idea of this. I'm, we're not going to get, I don't want to get Kyler Murray here. Okay. I don't want a, I, I, if Justin Fields is the guy and I wholeheartedly believe that yeah. he is once he has the pieces around him to be the guy, the starting quarterback of the Chicago bears, a playoff team. That's how I'm defining the guy. Can you get us to the playoffs with regularity? I think he has that skill set. But if he doesn't show that skill set for some reason or another, you're not giving him nine figures. Oh, the, no, no, no. The, I, the I, Cardinals, I totally agree. The Cardinals I was are going from an to rue the day that they did that. I totally agree. Uh, unfortunately, that's just what – that's how the NFL goes now when, when a quarterback shows that he is an above-average talent and his contract runs up. It's almost like you're kind of in purgatory, and it's like, well – we can kind of roll the dice that this guy gets hot and pay him all this money, or we can start from scratch. And there's really no right decision. Honestly, probably the right decision is start from scratch and see if you can't find a guy, but man, it's really hard to do. But I was really more just saying that from an optimistic standpoint, saying things, you know, if, if Justin progresses the way that you hope that he does, and he looks like the guy that then you do pay him. But even then you got this two to three year window where you can't afford to pay guys. They have whatever it is like $140 million in cap space next season. Obviously, you want to take as much of that into free agency as you can. But Roquan is a guy that if he were a free agent next offseason, you'd be like, yeah, that's that's a guy we could target. That's a guy we want. And I feel like Matt Eberflus, defensively, defensive minded head coach, loves what Roquan can do in his defense. I just the puzzle pieces make too much sense for him to to move on. He's got to stay here. I, I, I just I think he ends up. It's a negotiation. It's a holdout. These things happen every single year and nine times out of 10. I mean, Debo Samuel said he wasn't coming back to the 49ers and that he was done. He requested a trade. The, the yeah, trade request is the new holdout. Yes. That's that's what we're, we're coming to learn here in today's NFL. Mm-hmm. Um, Matt, any other takeaways here from this last couple of weeks of, uh, you know, Bears fodder that were uh, given by the minute over the Twitter sphere? I know that you know, there's been a lot made about uh, Justin Fields' inconsistency. Sometimes he looks like a world beater. Sometimes 
Um, he, he's struggling to see it still. I, I'm just, I guess I'm, I'm not, we've talked about it before. The expectation this year is to hope that number one gets better and moves forward. Yeah. Um, we obviously have not spoken since the Tevin Jenkins saga started to play out. Is this um, a weird saga? Is this a train moving in the wrong direction right now? Like, are we, are we set? Are, are we sedentary? Are we not moving? Are we moving in the wrong direction or are we getting better? I, I do think we're moving in the right direction. I, I think if you look at the offensive line, um, the, the Tevin Jenkins saga appears to be at least somewhat over. It looks to be like he's kind of the a second string kind of rover on the offensive line. He's getting some reps at guard. He's getting some reps at tackle. It seems Glad like he might be kind of – well, you know what? At least that guy, the guy who did that is out. Um, but I, I also think the skill set is there. And then, you know, Riley Reef is on a one-year deal at right tackle. If Tevin Jenkins has a pretty good year and kind of grows, matures, he could very easily be your right tackle next year. Uh, it seems like they got something out of nothing with Braxton Jones. He looks like, I mean, he's kind of taken over the left tackle spot and everybody says he's far and away deserving of that spot. So maybe uh-huh. they got like a Charles Leno type fine late in the draft there. Uh, Lucas Patrick seems to be a really good center. The offensive line seems to have the pieces there to keep Justin Fields upright this year. And while the weapons haven't necessarily been all that healthy in camp, I I don't know. I I feel like while there are some, you know, inconsistencies from fields, one, it's a new offense. He's brand new. So while he's not a rookie, it's he's a rookie in this offense and he's still very young in the league. And quite honestly, with the coaching and tutelage he got last year, he might as well be a rookie. Um, uh, there's a lot more flashes I, I keep seeing from, you know, Bears beat writers at Bears camp this year. In years past, it's always been, you know, Mitch and Foles, neither one wants the job and they both look terrible and the defense is dominating. From here, what I've seen is Justin Fields made some really awesome plays today. Then there yeah. were some missed throws or um, the Brisker made, you know, a great interception who, by the way, it sounds like he's the, he's having himself a fantastic camp, but mm-hmm we're hearing a lot more about the good Justin Fields has done. And it's been a lot more about the good from the quarterback position than I can ever really remember from a bears camp. So I I'm, 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 I'm trending positively. I, I, I'm going to this pretty optimistically this season. I like it. Um, I also kind of with you outlining what you just did, it, it, it also reminds us that you can't overpay for Roquan because my, my number one target in free agency, this coming upcoming off season is, a absolute road grader named Quentin Nelson. He has not been mm-hmm. paid by Indy. He's coming to the market. It looks like he's going to, uh, who knows? You know, they could yeah. get a deal done. He could stay in Indy, especially because that team is like a borderline contender type team this year. Yeah. Um, I, I could put them, I could very much see them doing a, uh, a Cincinnati type run. And I think they're even, they're obviously better today than Cincinnati was day one of last yeah. season. So um, I, I think that that might be a pipe dream, but he, he would be the addition that I'm looking for this offseason. And if, and if I'm Ryan Poles already looking at next year's free agency, uh, tampering, or, tampering or not, somebody backdoor this guy information that Chicago loves you. We know you love Chicago. Um, let, let's make you a bear in a, in a year's time. So, so um, someone in the front office who still has a good relationship with Harry Heastan, maybe give Harry a call over at Notre Dame, have Harry put in a call to his boy Quentin over at the Colts. That, that's that, your would be, right that would be a good, what's, what's Alex Barr's up to these days? Where's he at? Oh, uh, I think he's, I think he's still with the bears. I want to say. Yeah. So that, that's, that's, I, I believe that was Q's right hand along yeah. with um, some good people here in, in the Wisher family. So there are connections to be made. There are Let's bridges to be built, um, but that would be, you the, need our help. That's fine too. We'll make some calls. 
if you're going to have a player on your roster that is the benchmark of player pay at that position, it's that guy. You know, yeah, that, that's the guy, the guy I'm willing to reset the market on is Quentin Nelson. But different conversation for a different day. Uh, Bears football is just one month away, Matt. God, I can't wait. It, it is undoubtedly going to give us headaches. Hopefully it will give us moments of uh, peace, moments of uh, positivity and uh, something that we can kind of hitch our cart to for the future. But um, let's keep this party rolling to something that has been nothing but a headache. Uh, we do have to offer some thoughts here on the Chicago White Sox. I, I so I, You know what? Last night, losing to that the Royals it. again, giving I up eight runs for the me. Royals again. Um, it, it, was, uh, it was almost, I had the thought, I had the moment of, I wish there was somebody good in the AL Central so I could stop giving a shit about it. Yeah, this. I because wish they were buried. They're what? A game, they're still just a, two games back. I think, back, it's, game two, and I think back. it's two or two and a half because Cleveland and a half won last, last night. Two and a half because Cleveland won. It's still well within striking distance in this garbage division that's made up of just 500 baseball clubs. And like, I, I don't, it's almost the complete inverse of last season. Last season, we were so good that we lost focus and then we're nothing come playoff time. This year, we're, we're so bad in terms of execution that they've lost focus because they think that they can just put the push on late and sort of play the opposite season that they did last year. Mm-hmm. And then maybe to the hot team coming into the playoffs. That, that's been the, that's been the story we're selling ourselves for the last three months. And I, I'm almost done buying my own story here because it's with the injury of Anderson and him being out for four to six weeks um, with the, just the, lackluster errors that this team makes on a nightly basis with their complete lack of plate approach. I don't see a playoff team anymore. That's, that's the thing. It's like, it's just all fundamentals. Like it's the talent is so clearly there. And and every once in a while you see the flashes and you're like, man, where that like, not even where is this every day? Where is this every other day? Why do we only see it once a week? And Mm -hmm. we've talked about it before. It like teams take on the mindset and the demeanor of the person that's leading them. And the person that's leading them is falling asleep in the dugout quite literally. Like it, it, they, they, there's no accountability. There's no removal from the lineup. They're get, they're getting babied. AJ Pollock was out last night because he had a bruise on his foot, a team in a pennant race, just lost their leadoff hitter. And their, their second leadoff hitter when Anderson's not in the lineup, AJ Pollock had a big bruise on his left foot. So he didn't play in a game that if that they kind of needed to win because everyone, every game's a must win. Now mm-hmm. they have a manager who babies them. They have a manager that doesn't hold anybody accountable. They have a, a hitting coach that either, the team doesn't respect enough to listen to adjustments he's trying to make, or doesn't know how to make adjustments, you know, coach up adjustments to make because this team has all of the power in the world. It should be up near the top of major league baseball in terms of team home runs and Jose Abreu, Luis Robert, Andrew Vaughn and Gavin Sheets combined for less home runs than Aaron judge. Like what is it's, it's, it's either the lack of discipline at the plate. It's the lack of execution of a game plan or it's just flat out really not caring. And I, I, I'm, I have a hard time believing Jose Abreu doesn't care. He, he cares. He's one guy that clearly does. And if he's only got 14 homers this year, that's like he's still hitting the ball. He's still hitting doubles. He's still driving in runs since you know the weather started to heat up. He's been typical, really good Jose Abreu. He's the one guy you can kind of point to that's been himself, mm-hmm. except the long ball's not there. So there's clearly some sort of approach that – is being coached up that is lost on these guys that, that is, or I guess not lost on these guys. They're 
listening to their coach and they're not hitting home runs. They're trying to get base hits. They like lead major league baseball in singles and they're 28th or something or whatever it is in scoring. Like something's wrong here. How, yeah. how there has not been any adjustment at, the, at any level with the exception of Ethan Katz, who I think has done a great job. He's turned around some of the pitching staff. Obviously you're seeing it with Cease. Ronaldo Lopez has become pretty close to an elite swingman and out of a bullpen. Like he's done some pretty good things with some of these starters, but Holy hell, everywhere else is just a dumpster fire. I just, you know, I think what would tell the story pretty clearly and concisely about what you're talking about there and the lack of preparedness, the poor management. I'd love to see the number and I'm sure I could pull it up. My computer is giving me some trouble right now, but their what's their record in series openers? I don't, I, I don't remember them outside of the few sweeps earlier. I don't remember them winning a series opener. Like they, they're, it's like they just come into every situation flat-footed. They don't respond until they're behind the eight ball and they've lost a series opener. They've lost the first two of a series. And then we see glimpses of that team yep. that we were sold and glimpses of that team that we know this, this group is capable of being. But there is no motivating factor behind this club right now. Yeah, it, it, I don't know. The Johnny Cueto, your boy from San Francisco, who's actually, I know we keep kind of joking about how River like, Cat legend. It's, it's weird that he's this good, but like, it's still weird that he's this good. He didn't have his stuff last night. He yeah. did not have his stuff, but he battled through, got him through six innings. Uh, actually, was it seven innings? Got him through, say whatever, got him through six or seven innings, three earned runs. You pitched, pitched his ass off for a, a veteran that didn't have his stuff, and he's been, you know, one of the few guys along with Jose Abreu, and it's, it's unfortunate that we're talking about 34, 35, 36-year-olds as the only guys putting forth effort. But they, he was talking to the media last night, and here's his exact quote. We need to be more aggressive, show more swagger. We can't get comfortable. We need to go out and play hard and show what we can do. We need to fight. We need to show the fire we have if we have any. That's a guy who's been on several winning teams with the Giants. He knows what a winning organization looks like. Hell, when he was with the Reds, those teams were pretty good. Guy knows how to win. Guys, guy knows how to pitch. Like he knows what a winning clubhouse and atmosphere is. He kind of brings, I feel like, the mindset you hope Dallas Keuchel would. Yeah. And he pretty much just said, yeah, I'm not sure we have it. Like I don't think we have any fire. I don't think we have the desire to do it. Didn't say he didn't have the talent. Not sure we have the fire. If I'm uh, – the more this goes on, the more that I actually don't hate that Rick Hahn didn't go out and get anything for this team because I'm not sure they really deserve it. And I'm not sure they were really worth giving up the limited prospect capital you have. But if he doesn't on day, you know, one of the off season, walk into Jerry's office and say, it's, it's Tony or me make up your mind. I would be very disappointed. If I were him, that's, that's, uh, you walk into Jerry's office and say, you pulled out the rug. You pulled the rug from out underneath me multiple times. And I'm not trying to let Rick on off the hook because he paid Larry Garcia. He's the, the bullpen signings are getting a little bit better. At least Joe Kelly's kind of turning around. Like you paid Larry Garcia. You made some questionable calls with the limited money you have, but the rug's been pulled out from underneath you several times. You're, I, I walk into Jerry Reinsdorf's office and say, Hey, if I resign today and basically tell people in interviews, you wouldn't let me do shit. And you hired my manager for me. I'm going to get whatever general manager job I want. I want to be here, but it's him or me. Matt, you tweeted it last night. Um, our our big time deadline acquisition, our, Jake our Diekman, big, our big time bull, bullpen ad. Like, I don't know. It, it just seems like a complete um, a complete lack of urgency on all levels within the organization right now. It it does. It just it feels like 
everybody not named Cueto, Abreu, or Hendricks just thinks that everything's going to turn around and, you know, there's just going to be a magical switch that flips and nobody has to do anything or change anything or just work at it, that they're just the, the natural talent's going to, you know, show out and then kind of prevail over whatever. And it's not, it's not going to happen. I mean, they, it's just so mind bogglingly frustrated. And I guess this might be the downside of paying some of these guys earlier than they have to mainly looking at you, yo on Moncada, like that guy hasn't been the same player since he signed a contract since he signed the big contract. Not that he already had made some money, but then he made life-changing money with the $95 million deal guy is a shell mm-hmm. of himself. Luis Robert, yeah. I'm not necessarily ready to say that yet. I think he's being coached up terribly. Um, and he still is showing flashes of being really good. But like, there's these guys who just seem like they're kind of on cruise control and they don't have a manager to kick their ass and snap them out of it. And I, Sox fans and Sox Twitter make fun of people who say, you know, Ozzy would be a perfect manager for this team or AJ Pruszynski would be a perfect manager. And someone, it, it might not be those guys, but someone like that. Yeah. Who's not afraid to walk into a clubhouse and just kick their ass. That's what this team needs. And you need yeah. to look at the needs of your team. Like what, how to get the most out of your players. Clearly we tried the relaxed approach. We tried letting them be them. I'm not saying you can't let them be themselves with a fiery manager, but like we tried the relaxed approach. We tried the, the nice guy approach. That doesn't work. It just doesn't work. They need you, know what, you just, you just brought like, a, I don't know if this is going to hit or not this metaphor, but like when you're, when you got the aux cord or when you're on the Bluetooth and you're sort of controlling mm. the vibe of a room, shout out to Jeffy Johnson, friend of the podcast. Great at the, the aux cord. Great at the aux cord. Great at understanding what the room needs at a certain moment, building the moment. We have, this has been elevator music for 112 games. It's just been your manager not understanding when the team needs to hear a little bit of the Rolling Stones, not understanding when we need a little Calvin Harris, not understanding when the BPMs need to get through the roof. It's been elevator music for the entirety of the season. We are a one-note ball club because our manager is a one-note manager. Unless we're not seeing something behind the scenes that he is trying to light fires, that he is challenging guys, you're not seeing it in the dugout. I, I we, can't be led to believe that this is happening behind closed doors. If it was, we'd have heard about it already. Somehow, yeah. some way, we'd have heard about it already. There, there's way too much smoke for there to not be a fire on this. It's so does, does the music, does the playlist thing play? Did that metaphor play? Oh, that, no, that definitely played. That, that 100% played. You need a guy who has the finger on the pulse of the clubhouse, just like you need a, a guy running the ox cord that has a finger on the pulse of the locker room or the bus or the party or whatever. You, you need that guy and the socks. Do not have that guy. They, like you said, they have elevator music. Yeah. Um, I, I'm sure that this conversation will continue on at least. Uh, oh, I hate them. Game so 162. Um, yeah, we are. We are. It's going to come down to the final series in Minnesota. I'm pretty sure they, they finished the season with Minnesota and Cleveland. It's, it's unfortunately painstakingly agonizingly going to come down to that. Which and is um, harkens back to some summers in the early 2000s. But um We'll see how it all plays out. Thankfully, we do have a welcome distraction coming in uh, NFL football, in college mm. football. We will have your previews coming over the next month. You're going to get that college preview in a couple weeks. That will be Phil Goff uh, filling in, friend of the podcast, contributor for myself. That's going to be a Matt and Phil production. Um, uh, you know, People I'm, forget Joe's getting married this month. Your boy's got to like, go he's, get married. He's, he's got some things going on, so we've had uh, Phil on. Phil, we'll talk some a lot of Notre Dame, not some Notre Dame, quite a bit of it. Thankfully. Pod, but my it's nice partner, to have a fill-in guy. 
my my podcast partner will be there at the wedding. Thankfully, it wouldn't be wouldn't be a proper moment without it. But um, I'll be gone that entire week. That'll be your college preview pod, followed by the first week in September, your NFL preview pod. Everything you need to know. Two best episodes of the year. Future picks. Yeah. Big time. Big time. Epi's coming. Uh, down the pipe at you, all uh, framed around the White Sox uh, inefficiencies. So mm-hmm. a lot to get to, a lot to talk to. We are well out of the dog days of summer, and the FedEx Cup playoffs also underway uh, beginning here on Thursday. Uh, they are underway as we speak with uh, everybody vying for their piece of a $75 million total purse over the next three weeks. Winner this week takes 2-7. Winner next week takes 2-7. Winner of the FedEx Cup takes 18 million. Uh, if you're mm. looking for a bag, you don't have to go to the Saudis. Um, the bag is there here on the PGA Tour. Matt, you know, you and I could sit here and talk for hours uh, at nauseum about the new news. Cam Smith potentially heading over. Cam Young being rumored as yeah. the heading over. Uh, Billy Horschel talking with some guys and uh, sort of becoming one of the voices of the PGA Tour too. Guys thinking that they're just going to step right back onto the tour once this is Uh, sort of settles and there's a lot going on there, but I do want to focus on the golf that we're going to see in Memphis this week. And uh, I would think in the plenty of time to talk about the other stuff. Scotty built a huge lead Scheffler well before the summer started um, with the win at the masters, the three other wins. I mean, he's your player of three and five, three and five weeks. I think it was right. Uh, Including the masters. Something like that. Yeah. Yeah. And he is the odds on favorites win the player of the the year um if he clips one of these three tournaments i don't see anyone catching him here um do you think not to make like a a big indictment of the system here but mm-hmm. do you think scotty scheffler essentially being able to coast it to 18 million is a proper representation or a proper um uh, challenge put out in front of him I-, I think it is because i think what he did um needs to be rewarded and if he's able to pull off a couple top twenties and then hold off the field with that 10 under lead at East Lake. Mm-hmm. I think that that's right. I think that that's how it should go. I, yeah. I mean, it, I, I like the fact that the guy who was the best golfer throughout the year did the big, he kind of had the biggest highlights, won the most, I don't, did, did he did win the most tournaments. I'm getting, I, I just remember that stretch. I'm not sure who actually, I, I think he did, but whatever. I like that they get some sort of, advantage heading into these playoffs but like i don't know i there's just something that seems to be missing from these playoffs and maybe it is the fact that you know the best player in the world doesn't necessarily have to go out and like be aggressive you kind of just play to not Uh lose as opposed to playing to win like he's actually three over today through nine so that's not great um i don't know like i don't hate it but like i don't and i don't know what the solution is but like it just seems like the fedex cup is just missing something like a little it's just missing something for me. I still love yeah. it. Like I'm still going to watch it, but just like, it seems like a lot of the drama is taken out of, you know, what, what makes the playoffs the best time of year in the NBA, the NHL, like baseball, like it's the drama that kind of comes along with it. And rarely when you ha- when you see these guys get these big leads and just kind of have to play defense instead of actually going out and playing offense, like, it just seems to take away from that drama a little bit. I think we get, I still think we get some drama at East Lake. you know, whoever's in second is, not going to be, I think, what are they, two strokes off of Scotty to start that tournament? So it does essentially become... Yeah, I think it's 10, 8, yeah. Yeah, it could become like a five-man race, uh, and but there's only 25 guys in the field at East Lake, so for it to be any deeper than that, someone's got to go crazy. But uh, I do think that in terms of 
Next closest, number two in the world, number two in the standings. Cam Smith has a major this year. Check that box. Um, he has the players this year. Check that box. And I believe he won the Sony. Yeah, he won the – no, the, the Century Century Tournament of Champions. Tournament of Champions, yes, yeah. to start the season. So, a long time ago, but he's got three wins this season and a major. Scotty's got four wins and a major. Now, do you value the Masters as a little bit more of a chip than the Open Championship? That's for you to decide. But I don't think this is – Sign sealed, delivered, like put Scotty's name on the on the trophy type thing. I think that we do get mm-hmm. some moments and we do get some excitement. And I don't know if you saw it on Twitter this morning. Uh, Scotty walking straight through Cam Smith's I line, did like see right that. in yes. front of his face. Like I did see that. You might have a little bit of spiciness here, a little bit of uh, live versus PGA Tour coming down the stretch. Uh, we'll see you when we see a Cam Smith type thing. So um, I think that yeah, there'll that be definitely added to I it. think we'll get I, some I think, fireworks over the next three three weeks. That's fair. That I think that rumor is going to add to some things. And should that, I, the fact that it is the, kind of the top two guys going at it makes that a little bit spicier, I think, than, than years past. So, yeah, I, I think we'll have maybe a little bit more drama because of some of the storylines off the course as well as what they're doing on. But bad start for Scotty today. Didn't see three over through nine coming. Um. Matt, I think that I think that this is an injustice that we've done to the listeners because that's the second biggest story in golf right now. It's true. The, it's the true. biggest story in golf is is Matt Rooney and the Rooney cousins mm. just being baptized in the waters of Scotland. And I don't know how to open the floor for you here. I don't know I where don't you want to begin. Um, I don't know if we want to just like get me out of the way here and let you wax poetic. I guess I'll start you with this question. When you think back to your time in Scotland, remind us, you played eight courses, correct? Uh, nine, technically. Nine we were courses. supposed to be eight, and then we, we had an impulse round at Prestwick, the home of the Open Championship on uh, on day one where we got there. As, didn't, one, didn't have time to adjust from the jet lag. Just as one does. The so run, me, run me through the nine courses. Prestwick. Let's see. I'm, I'm going to try and go in order here. I'm going to do my best to not forget one because – not that they blend together, but nine straight days of walking golf courses can blend together. Mm-hmm. Uh, let's see. Prestwick, Troon, Turnberry, uh, Cruden Bay, Royal Aberdeen, Trump International. Uh, that's where am I at there? Six? I believe so. Old, old course. Oh, Carnoustie. Old mm-hmm. course. Uh, Kings Barnes. So that, there's, there's your nine. When uh, you are... When you are 85 years old and you're in your rocking chair and all you have are memories, what's going to be the one that you're tethered to on this trip? Oh, it's, I mean, it's St. Andrew. It's the old course. It's, I feel like everybody describes it this way. And, you know, I, I don't mean to be, you know, sound cliched about it, but it's, it's true. Like the old course, the golf course, isn't really that hard. It's a fine golf course. It's a very nice mm-hmm. golf course, but like we played, four or five better golf courses on the trip, but the experience of it all, the mystique of it all, it's like, it's especially having the open championship, you know, uh, grandstands and stuff still up, like mm-hmm. walking down one and walking up 18, it feels like you're in a stadium. Like it kind of has that feel to it. You have people watching, you know, where you are. It's like Augusta almost on stair. It's a, it's like Augusta, but you're getting to play it. Um, mm. It's, it's got, I mean, that's, so that's anybody who, 
was there on the trip with you, I think would tell you that's in a little bit of a league of its own. Um, it, not necessarily because the course, just overall everything experience. There's nothing like walking up 18 at St. Andrews, knowing where you are, kind of having a little bit of a crowd, making a nice uphill 10 footer for par, do a little round of applause. Um, oh, sorry. Did I, I didn't mean Excuse to squeeze me, that in there. <laughs> didn't mean to squeeze that in there. What happened? Um, <laughs> outside of that though, uh, it, it was cool playing a few di- like, we got Carnoustie and Troon, which are really your old school links courses. You know, you're, you're not talking about the views you saw in Carnoustie and Troon. You're talking about, you know, the the perfectly placed pot bunkers in the fairway and greenside, the the fairways that are running, a little bit of the weather that you're getting, like the the, the massive wind because it's kind of wide open. Then you have, you know, your your turnberries, which is almost like a, it's kind of like a little bit like, a bit like a pebble beach with how, you know, scenic it is along the water, all that, like it's a little bit more of an Americanized links course, if that makes sense, similar to, to Trump International. Then you're, you know, at Royal Aberdeen, which is not as nice of a course, but you're along the water the entire way. And, you know, it's one of the top five oldest golf courses. I kind of, like we played so many awesome golf courses and really none of them re- felt that much like the same, like they were all awesome for different reasons. And I just kind so of would you, would you say that that's the biggest misconception about Lynx golf and golf in Scotland is that it's kind of one note? hundred percent, hundred percent. Like Carnoustie and Troon were by different courses, but you know, same style of golf. Um, whereas, you know, you're on Turnberry and it's, it's completely different. You know, you, you can't really miss a fairway. Uh, you're along the water a lot more. Same thing with Trump internet. Like it, it's, you still have to worry about the wind and the elements and, you know, you're, you're getting a little more creative with some shots around the green, but it's by no means the, the same, the same style of golf. Uh, now the, the fact that you got to play, not to, not to discard any of the other courses, but I think the lion's share of my interest and the lion's share of our, our listeners interest is likely in your mm-hmm. experience at the old course, just start to finish soup to nuts. I know you did the walk up and got the tea time for the final day situation where you woke up early. Got No, we got, food. we actually got luckier. We didn't actually have to do. So we okay. do, um, there's a million different of these services, but you know, there's people over there that you know, similar to like a travel agent kind of set mm-hmm. up everything for you, set up the courses and he told us, you enter a, a lottery, like a drawing. You can do it three days out or two days out before you want to play. And going into the trip, guy was like, hey, like, doesn't look good because of the COVID like, push-offs and you know, the Open just being there. It looks like it might be crowded. Kind of tempered expectations, said he thinks we might be able to get one group on. And then, you know, two nights before, he's like, yeah, we got you. We got both groups on. Um, so didn't, didn't have to do the whole wake up or, like, God, when we were uh, the, the night after we played St. Andrews, we were. Uh, just hanging out, literally hanging out, uh, smoking cigars and drinking scotch on the 18th fairway. And at 1030, there were people heading over to the little like starters hut to, to put their name into the gear, to wait in line, to put their name <laughs> in the queue at 6am. Didn't have to do that luckily. So good. Um, uh, to experience it as well with the grandstand still up and seeing the 150th down your left side as you're walking up 18 or uh, down your right side as you're uh, heading off onto one there. Mm-hmm. It had to have been just such a special experience to sort of play it as the static of an open championship still existed there. Yes. Few people will ever get that experience that you got there. We always talk about it, playing a golf course. Oh, you know, these guys, even when they miss it big, they get kicks off of grandstands. Any of that? Any? Did you, do you, did you experience any of what we sort of project onto these courses of like, hey, 
you know, if I had fans out here, that one's not getting that far left. Did you get any of those? I did not get any kicks off grandstands, but like there okay. were a couple, there were a couple like holes on the back nine that like, if you went out of bounds, you definitely could have gotten a little bit of a grandstand effect to it, but there weren't many, like, you know, sometimes you see dudes go way over a green and there's a grandstand to kind of kick it back. There weren't, there weren't really many of those behind greens, but there were a few shots, especially coming back in uh, like 12 and, and kind of 12 through 18, where there were definitely some, some moments you could see that happening for sure. Yeah. Um, in terms of the trip, and obviously it's memorable for a number of different reasons, all, uh, closely related to the game of golf, but your your most memorable non golf experience that you can share here on the podcast was what? Oh, it just I mean, after we played St Andrews, it, luckily it was you know six forty and six fifty, so you know, we were done by ten thirty, eleven o'clock in the morning. Just kind of went back, showered, went to the jigger and watched people. You know, had some Guinnesses, watched people coming up seventeen. That was awesome. Doing just kind of like a mini little bar crawl around St Andrews. You know, we were in the the basement at Rusex, the one under bar that was really cool. Just kind of knowing the people that had been there had stayed there just exploring St. Andrews. And then, like I said, end of the night, we had some cigars, we had some scotch and we're just kind of strolling 18 green to 17 T and back for an hour or two. And just oh, kind of recapping the rounds with the boys, you know, taking a, a very grainy picture that, that Mike threw up on Instagram on the bridge. Hot like hot, it was like, it's that it's just, that's what, makes the courses over there so cool and also kind of what was a little bit weird tough to get used to is you know teeing off on four and somebody's walking their dog you know 250 <laughs> yards up the fairway um chick evans but it, you know just yeah it was uh, the ability to just walk saint andrews just walk the old course and nobody cared like it's it's accepted it's a public park it's awesome special There's nothing stuff. like uh, it it's special I'm, stuff i'm happy that you you got to experience it um i guess I will open the floor just for a parting thought here. Shot, you know what? You know me. When I golf with the guys, when I golf with mm-hmm. the boys, when we get together, when we sit down at the 19th hole, having a beer, whatever, I always pose the question to the field, shot of the day. So I will pose that same question to you, shot of the trip. What was it? So I, I'm going to go with, I mean, I'm going to take the nostalgia out of the shots. Like uh, I hit a great drive on 17 on the road hole. You told me to aim over farther, right? And I hit a really good drive. Like that, that, (laughs) not the best. Like it was just all, it was cool to do that. Like 18, I hit a nice drive. I have two, I have, we had 18 at Carnoustie coming up with, you know, the burn right in front of the water. We were playing, uh, it's probably 380 or so. Um, Mm -hmm. just wind was about 15 to 20 miles an hour, right at our back. So you had it with us. And just absolutely pummeled one 330 that got like to within three yards of the little burn right in front of the, the you know, right in front of the green. So that was that for me, 18 at Carnoustie, which was then, my favorite, my favorite course of the tournament or of the, and of then the you trip, made, not named St. Andrews. And made then five. you made five and then you made five from 65 yards. Is that how that I did? Well, because <laughs> this is this is where the short game comes in in Scotland. Like it's do I try to go up and the, uh, the, yeah. the, the sandwich wasn't I, I wasn't hitting it all that well. And, you know, the wind was kind of messing around. So I tried to hit a little bit of a runner and then it kind of ran through like I was actually pretty happy with the shot I hit. It's just sometimes you hit the wrong shot and you get really, um, uh, you just kind of get get a wrong bounce, yeah. bad bounce. Um, but that for me was the was by far the shot of the tournament. My caddy, who's been caddying there for forty years, and I'm sure he said this to people before, was like, "Yeah, it's one of like the top ten best drives I've seen on this hole." It was literally within like within like five yards of the burn right in front. So that was that that was it for me. 
Well, I am so thrilled that you got to have that experience and you uh, further cement us as a true golf pod by having that experience uh, abroad and at the home of golf, Matt. Um, I'm sure it will be something you hold near and dear to your uh, to your heart for the remainder of your years. But um, it's also something that uh, I hope gives you a, a deeper appreciation for the game, something that I hope to experience as well. Um, but on that note, Matt, let's say goodbye to the people real quick here. It's been a great pod, episode 262, a little bit of everything. We've got a ton of great content coming your way in the weeks to come. But for now, he is Matt. I am Joe. Matt, say goodbye to the people. Later. May God give you for every storm a rainbow, for every tear a smile, for every care a promise, and a blessing in each trial. I swear I've seen a lot of stuff in my life, but that was awesome. Chicken on the steak was phenomenal.